you have your Bibles, I'd invite you, if you would, to open them up and turn them on and join me, if you will, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you are our guest, we have been uh, in a sermon series through the book of Galatians, but periodically as we come, especially to the break points of the text, uh, we like to highlight those points and those movements in the Scripture by taking a moment to reflect on and practice then the reminder that Jesus Christ gave to us uh, in the Lord's Supper. And so today is a, a service that is built around and flows towards uh, the partaking of the Lord's Supper. So on your way in, you should have found some of the elements in your chair. If you'll just hang on to that, we will get to that in a moment. And so we like to focus um, our attention on a passage of Scripture that emphasizes the power and the significance of the Lord's Supper, what it means, and why Jesus Christ left it to us. He gave us baptism as an ordinance for the church of Jesus Christ as a celebration of a step of obedience and new life in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so it's a constant ongoing reminder to you and to me of the time, hopefully in our life, when we first believed on Jesus Christ, turned from ourself and from our sin, and were saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a great reminder of looking back at what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. But Jesus didn't leave us with a one picture that points us backwards. He left us with another picture that we are to take again and again and again as a reminder of our constant need to sit in the presence of Jesus Christ and remember what he did and the effects that that has in our lives. Because the reality is we live in a broken world, amen? Amen? We've heard testimony this morning of the difficulties in people's lives, and though we are able to testify to God's goodness— in that, and the goodness of God in broken dreams, the goodness of God in disabilities, and how we can use those as instruments for His glory. And we look into the world that is around us, it is broken, and there is fighting, and there is struggle, and there is war, and there is death, and there is disease, and there is all of this reality of the world that is broken around us. And so in every single conversation, in every single individual, there is an assumption, and it's an assumption that even comes from Scripture, that the world is broken, and that brokenness comes from somewhere, and the Bible's answer to the brokenness of the world is sin. And if we want to fix the brokenness of our lives or the brokenness of the world, the only way that that can happen is if we first and foremost deal with the problem of sin. And left to ourselves, we try to deal with our sin and the sin of the world that is around us in broken ways. And the Bible points that out in many different ways, and one of the places that it does that is in Hebrews chapter 10, as the author of Hebrews is comparing and contrasting the Old Testament system uh, of, of, of sanctification and personal cleansing and dealing with sin with the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you, if you would, look with me in Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 14 where the author of Hebrews picks up in his argument and writes, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for him. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we do acknowledge you this morning and your grace and your mercy, your goodness that is ever-present and always after us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are not like me and that you are not like men, 
who we are often so easily prone to turn from, those who have fallen, those who have failed, those who are broken, those who are sinful. But Lord Jesus, those were the very ones that you drew near to in your life and in your ministry. And that hasn't changed. I thank you for the way that you constantly run after me despite my faithlessness. You are, as we've heard even in these testimonies this morning, you are ever and always faithful. And you prove your love in the midst of my sin. You prove your love in the midst of my suffering. And you are constantly available. And because of what Christ has done on our behalf, Heavenly Father, there's never a moment when we are outside of your good grace because your grace is ever and always sufficient to overcome all of our sin. So we praise you this name and pray, Holy Spirit, because there is nothing that I can do, that I can say, that has the ability to affect a life, to change a life, to transform a life. So please, as I admit my inadequacy, would you come? Would you bless and protect and guard this time? Would you fill these words, pierce our hearts, draw us out of ourselves and into service in this world for your name's sake and for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. When God displays his sovereignty, it is always so powerful. I planned that this morning, we would, as we worked through the book of Galatians and saw the break points and where we were going to be, it was the natural place and the point that we would celebrate, hopefully, a baptism, which, praise the Lord, we were able to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. What I didn't know in the midst of that planning is that today, across the Southern Baptist Convention, all 40-something thousand different churches— across the United States and the world, the emphasis for today is Evangelism Emphasis Sunday. That as we would focus on and remember the gospel of Jesus Christ in the picture that comes through the Lord's Supper, we would be doing so alongside brothers and sisters in Christ within our denomination around the world as we emphasize the need as believers in Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of God, to be the ones in the world proclaiming the good news of salvation. And to refocus ourselves and to recommit ourselves to a life of evangelism, a life practice of evangelism with those that we love. Because the truth of the matter is, as we said, the world is broken and in need of salvation. And so these verses actually open up with the assumption of the brokenness of the world. And we see from the very beginning that the world is broken and that sin, as we said, is the, the problem in the sin in, in the, with our brokenness. And the Bible assumes with the issue of brokenness and the source of brokenness being sin that we are attempting in some way to fix it. And the author of Hebrews in these verses, as I said, is comparing and contrasting the Old Covenant Jewish system of personal cleansing versus what Jesus Christ has done in the New Covenant. And what he shares there and what he says is that every priest is stand, used to stand daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. What we see there in the practice is an attempt to fix the brokenness and the sinfulness of the covenant community of God in Israel through the Old Testament system. Now, if there was ever a system that could, quote-unquote, come close, you would think that it would be the system that God established and told them to follow, correct? But as we'll see as we continue in our study in Galatians, that the purpose of the Old Testament law was greater than just that. And instead, what we see in through the picture of the Old Testament system is the pervasiveness of sin. Because here is this priest who is always standing and always repeatedly sacrificing for sin. 
We see in these verses the idea that sin is a perpetual problem for people, but we also see the picture of the inadequacy of every single human attempt to cleanse sin. As I said, the author here is specifically speaking about the old covenant system of animal sacrifices, but we can see this now on the other side of Jesus Christ. We can see in this a a picture of every single human attempt to deal with sin. And the weakness, the inadequacy, the inability of every single human attempt to deal with the brokenness of our lives and our sin is going to fail every single time. And we've talked in the past about ways that we attempt to do that on our own, whether it's through our performance, the things that I do that keep God happy with me somehow, my church attendance, my tithe, my Bible reading, my quiet time, my sexual purity, my everything else. I'm, I'm towing the line, God. I'm keeping the rules, God. Everything's okay, God. My performance is what I'm trying to use as my record, my own personal record of righteousness. But in the other senses, maybe it's running from my problems. I'm trying to drown them out and fix them with medications or drugs or alcohol or addictions of any different kind. And then there are those that are just trying to pretend that I'm okay, you're okay, I'm not as bad as other people, I'm not as bad as the Bible actually says that I am. And in every one of those attempts, the human systems, whatever they may be, they never work. Because here is this priest, he's standing and perpetually offering sacrifices. Why? Because his work is never done. Because sin is always there. And century after century, where there was at least two lambs killed every single day. Throughout all of that and all of that blood that was constantly shed, sin was never fixed. It was never solved. And that is why we need the power of Christ's sacrifice. As Jesus Christ came, he says in verse 12, and Jesus Christ had offered from uh, uh, that... But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ offered the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that is himself. Because as he came into this earth, the one who is the perfect sacrifice, fully God, that he might fully represent us before the Lord, and that as he was a fully man, that he might be the one who is able to substitute for us and stand in our place, the one who is also fully perfect, as he never sinned and was spotless and righteous and never deserved a punishment for his sin, nevertheless laid his life down as a sacrifice, not for his sins and failures and weakness, but for yours and for mine. Jesus Christ's sacrifice was perfect. And because of his sacrifice, he was able to do something that no priest had ever been able to do. He was able to sit down. The priest had to stand because the work was never done. But the sign that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father says that it is over and it is done. That his sacrifice is final. It is over. There is no need for any more work. His work is sufficient. And so now he is not only sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's not sitting back in a lazy chair done and drinking a drink. Instead, the author of Hebrews tells us elsewhere in the book that he has an ongoing ministry where he is advocating for you when you fail and he is cheering you on when you succeed. And so he is there ministering on our behalf, but nevertheless, not because he is continually offering himself as a sacrifice, but because his sacrifice is done, he is seated at the right hand of the God, the Father, and he is victorious. Because he is waiting for something specific to happen. What is he waiting for, according to these verses? For his enemies to be placed under his feet as his footstool. It's done. The war is over. He's just waiting for that final victory. 
that final victory when the enemies of sin, death, and the devil, the signs and the sources of your brokenness and my brokenness and the sin that is in the world are once and for all going to be placed under his feet, and he will be the victor. His is the perfect sacrifice. His is the great sacrifice that has power and that establishes him in his glory, but it also is a sacrifice that has effects for you and for me. Because according to verse 14, the author says, by a single offering, he, quote, past tense, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The cross of Jesus Christ has accomplished something in the past, a completed action. And what that is, according to this verse, is the perfection, past tense, of all those who in Christ are being sanctified. It's something that is once for all is done. Last week we talked about in the book of Galatians, Paul's use of the word justification. That justification is a legal term that a judge would have declared from the beginning, or, from, or that would have declared, that would have set someone free and would have wiped their record clean. And what Paul teaches is that God has declared us justified. And the way that we can help ourselves understand that is that God declares it just as if I had never sinned. And that is, in fact, how God ha now treats us. Now, that declaration is going to come at the end of time when we stand before the throne. But nevertheless, God somehow takes who we will be at that day and treats us as though we are that person now because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Over and done the same, there's a similar word here. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, one of his final words is paid in full. It is finished. Tetelestai. That same word appears in this verse right here, a form of it, when it says perfected for all time. We are paid in full. But there is this interesting notion that there seems to be this ongoing work that Jesus Christ has, past tense, perfected those who are being sanctified. Now, if you've been around the church for very long, you know there's this notion of the progressive sanctification of the saints, which means that God is working on us. He doesn't perfect us in the moment that we're saved. You and I are still dealing with our sin. Amen? I still struggle with sin each and every single day, every moment of every single day. And one day God will free me completely from the power of sin over my life. But right now, he is progressively working on me so that he is slowly putting to death the old person and he is bringing to life and shaping in me by the power of the Holy Spirit the person of Jesus Christ so that I would more and more reflect him every single day. That's not what this verse is talking about. Instead, what this is communicating is a perpetual, ongoing consecration by the power of Christ's one sacrifice of his people. In other words, I want you to understand this. In other words, because of Jesus Christ's final, perfect sacrifice, there is never a need for a new sacrifice to somehow renew what Jesus has done for you. Okay? In the Old Testament system, every single time I sinned, every single year, I had to come on the Day of Atonement and I had to offer a sacrifice to somehow renew my sanctification, my cleansing in front of the Lord. If I wanted to be able to come into the temple and into the presence of God, I had to be constantly sacrificing something so that I might be sanctified. The, perfect, the present tense of this verb means that there's never a moment in your life when the blood of Jesus Christ is not covering you and somehow sanctifying you, no matter what you do. 
There's never a moment in your life when you are after you have, for, for those who have believed in Christ, who are in Christ, there's never a moment in your life when anything that you do or fail to do has the ability to overturn the sanctifying power of the cross of Jesus Christ in your life. There is never a moment in your life where you are out of the grace of God. Those who are being sanctified every single moment of every single day, the grace of God is present in your life. Because of what Jesus did past tense, he perfected us. And so we can live in this constantly regenerating grace of God that is never not present. So then who are these who are being sanctified and who have been perfected? The answer is those who have believed in this message, who have turned from their own efforts to fix their brokenness, whether it be their religious performance or their worldly efforts and identities, and fully trusted in the final and perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they have trusted him not only as their Savior, but trusted in him as the Lord of their life because he is the one who is victorious and he is the one who will rule the universe. And so my question as we prepare our hearts in just a moment for the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we've just heard what that sacrifice does. It has perfected us such that we are justified in God and it is constantly sanctifying us so that we can never be separated from God, period. The Lord's Supper isn't something, some magical element that somehow continues to save us. That's what, that's what we just said. You don't need some constant, some new sacrifice. Each time that you take this, it's not a sacrifice where somehow I am renewing what has somehow been depleted because of my sin. Instead, God's grace is always full to the brim in my life. Instead, this is a constant reminder that is taken by the church that Jesus is who we trust in. And his past sacrifice and his declaration over my life that is what this is a testimony of. And our day-to-day -day need of his presence and his power in our life and our constant living it out. Because I would ask you, if you have, in fact, turned from yourself and turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you are here today and you would say, I am a child of God, my question to you would be, in light of all of this, how does that show up in your life? That's the challenge of every single Sunday morning, and that's the challenge of the Lord's Supper, is how does this shape my daily life, my daily words, my daily interactions? Or is this something that I just compartmentalize into my life, which is the church box or the past tense box of when I walked an aisle and I was baptized and I was saved, etc.? Or is this, as this text seems to indicate, something that is transforming and impacting every single second of every single day? And if you're here in this room and you can't say that I have turned from my religious records, my efforts, my addictions, my sins, and all of my own broken attempts to deal with my own sinfulness, my invitation to you is the invitation from Scripture is would you turn from yourself and trust in Jesus right here and right now? And cry out to, to the Lord, acknowledging, God, I am poor and I am needy, is what the Scripture says, and there's nothing that I can do. And so I put my faith and my trust in what Jesus has done on the cross to perfect me and change me and transform me and set me free. Would you pray that right now? Cry out to God, God, would you save me and change me from the inside out? 
and we can have a conversation about your next steps and baptism and a life and obedience in Jesus Christ. But right here and right now, you can receive the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit to transform your here and your forever. And if you're here and you are a child of God because you've turned from yourself and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then again, it is Evangelism Emphasis Sunday. Who is there that is in your life Maybe you wrote somebody's name down on this who's your one board and you've just kind of backed off or fallen or slacked off in your prayers and your efforts to engage that person with the gospel. Now is the day to renew. Renew your commitment to preach the gospel, not just in the way that you live, but to speak it into the lives of those that you say that you love. And call them to the faith and the trust and the transformation that can only come in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you where you are, as you are, to just bow your heads and close your eyes and get alone with the Lord and respond however it is that you need to respond in preparation. And we're going to have a moment where we're going to sing a song just to continue to prepare our hearts. And if that's a time when you need to come to the altar and you need to get alone with the Lord and you need to confess and you need to repent and you need to to spend some time just with Him, we're going to provide that before we partake of the Lord's Supper together. Maybe you need to pray with someone. You need to make something right. You need to run to your brothers and sisters. Then I'm going to invite you in that time right now. But maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I want to believe in Jesus. Maybe you need some help. I'm going to make myself available. I'm going to step off to the back. Maybe you need to come during this song and you need to pray. You need someone to pray with you. I'd be glad to. And then I'll come back up in just a moment. Would you take a moment in silence and preparation and I'll close this in prayer and then we'll sing this song.